morning again. It is great to see you. That was an awesome, awesome worship set, a wor time of worship. Um, wow. I wasn't sure if I was going to fly away. David Way, if I ever fly away during worship, my notes are right there on the floor, so you can just pick them up and, and preach. Actually, if I start to fly away, I'm going to grab you and we'll go together. Great to see you. Happy July, and I uh, hope your summer is going well so far, filled with lots of ice cream. Yes, no, any favorites out there? You know, nobody eats ice cream in this church. There's this new peanut butter fudge crunch ripple something something, oh my word, um, that I, oh wow. Really good. Our summer series is called Bonfire. And I think we lit one this morning already in here. Um, God is with us. Holy Spirit is here. And uh, so uh, welcome to the fire. We're glad that you're here. Uh, bonfire. So, you know, in the summertime, um, when there's not a fire ban on, we have uh, bonfires. And you sit around the bonfire and, you, and, 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 you know, the same stories emerge. You tell the same stories over and over. And so what we thought we would do this summer is, um, is look at, you know, the big stories of the Bible, um, and, and just kind of start in Genesis and go through uh, as far as we can get till September, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. Maybe these are stories that uh, you might have heard at Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school this morning. We have a, a pre-service prayer time every Sunday morning with the, the band and media and, and sound people and a whole bunch of us up in the balcony, and we were, we were talking about Sunday school, and we mentioned felt board, and two or three of the two or three of the younger ones looked at us like, "What is felt board?" And so we had to explain. We had to explain felt board, uh, but you might have heard these stories in Sunday school or catechism when you were when you were younger, or, or maybe not. Maybe you're just hearing these stories for the very first time, and that's okay too. And we're glad that you're here. But these stories are are ancient stories that are still loaded with practical truths for our lives and uh, so that's what we're going to be doing for the summer we're going to start in genesis and work our way through and one of the first big stories that you might remember from the book of genesis is the story of noah's ark and that's where we're going to be this morning just six chapters into the bible and we have already messed up the planet by genesis chapter 6 it's broken, and we're broken, and, uh, and it's messed up. Population was going up while morality was going down. We were really good at making kids. We had that one figured out. God said, you know, be fruitful and multiply, and we had that one figured out. But we were horrible at uh, helping those kids to, to have any kind of moral compass and helping them to walk in a relationship with their creator. And so by Genesis chapter 6, God has had enough. He's got creator's remorse. Now, if you've ever looked for a return label on your kids, you know what this is like. Yeah, I got an amen for that one. You're looking, where's the return label on this thing? Uh, you know how God was feeling that, what have I done? This is out of control. This is, this is not what I... Intended, and if you ever, if you've ever had um, toddlers, you know, teenagers, you know, you know, by nine o'clock in the morning, everyone is grounded, including the spouse. 
Don't anybody, nobody is leaving this house. Everyone is going back to bed, and we're going to reach this, we're going to start this day over. And that's where God was at in Genesis chapter 6. Sin entered our lives in the Garden of Eden when we, when we chose our ways over God's ways. And since then, we're not much different than a room full of three-year-olds. Leave us alone for five minutes and bad things happen, right? We're not, we're not much different. And the story of Noah's Ark is a story of redemption. And at first glance, I first admit, at first glance, it's a brutal story. If you just read it, you're like, seriously? Whoa, this is, this is, this is wild. It, at first glance, it's a brutal story, but when we dig deeper into the story, like we're going to do this morning, we can see that it is a story filled with God's grace and God's mercy. And a, there's a providential thread that starts in the garden, but it runs right through Noah's Ark. There is a providential thread of grace in the Bible that leads us straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that. It's funny now when I think back, uh, some, of the, some of the children's songs that, I, that we grew up singing about Noah's Ark, I'm not going to do them all, um, but one in particular, when you think back now, it's a really, really morbid song, and yet here are all these kids singing and dancing and, you know, smiling about, down came the rain and torrents, and only eight were saved. Everybody else drowned. Everybody else died. Down came the rain. You know, we taught kids these songs. They helped them learn scripture. They did me anyhow. The pattern of sin hasn't really changed much since Eden, since the garden. And in Genesis chapter 6, we see that God is heartbroken by the choices that we, his children, are making. And the pattern's not much different because it, it's them seeing the lore, L-U-R-E, of sin and its attractiveness and being seduced by the lore of sin and taking any sin that they wanted and consuming it and bringing it into their lives with little or no regard for its consequences. God gave them parameters. God gave them boundaries and guardrails, and we chose to ignore all of those things. Some things never change. The lie of sin, it's, it's, it's lore that it dangles out there in front of us, is that this, you know, whatever, whatever that is, this will fulfill you. This will fill you full. This right here will fulfill you. And the truth of sin, that's the lie of sin. The truth of sin is that it never fills. We know this to be true. It never fills. It only empties. Sin never fills a hole. It only makes the hole bigger. We know this to be true. Sin markets itself as, you know, this is the way to really enjoy life. And, and you need to get the most out of life. And you deserve this. And after all, life is short. But reality is that willful disobedience takes you further and further and further away from the giver of life, from our creator, from God. And real living 
extreme living, real living, living life to the fullest, can only be found and enjoyed within the will of God, within the parameters, the, the boundaries, the, the guardrails that God has given to us. He's given those things to us for a reason, because he wants you to really, to have the best life possible. Like the, the prodigal of Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke chapter 15. Fast living dies fast. It's a short ride to nowhere, leaving you empty and unfulfilled. And, and at some point, like the prodigal in Luke 15, you'll come to your senses and you'll be knee deep in pig slop. And in that moment, you'll realize that there is, there is no better place to live than at home with the Father. That's, that's where you need to be. So the first lie, the first lie of sin is that it will fulfill you. It'll complete you, but it doesn't. It does the opposite. It empties you, and it, it makes you less than what you, than what you really could be. It makes you less than what God has, has, God's best is for your life, than what God created you to be. The second lie of sin is that it can go unnoticed. Three-year-olds think this. They don't know that you count the cookies. But adults, we do this all the time, and, and, and we think, no one's here, no one sees. What I do in private doesn't matter that it can go unnoticed, that it's, 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 it's private. And one of the startling images from Genesis chapter 6 is that God is watching us ruin our lives. He sees the, the, the mess that we're in, and it breaks his heart. He sees what he's created with all of its potential to, 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 to do right, and he sees us taking our lives and, and just running to the, the darkest extreme possible. Everything that God had made available to us for his pleasure and for ours, we, we debased it. We pervert the things that God meant for good. And sin will lie to you and tell you that it doesn't matter, that no one sees. And I want you to know this morning that there is a God who knows you like no other, and sin never goes unnoticed. It's a lie. That's the second lie of sin. Let me read a couple of verses here from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. Creator's remorse. Where's the return label on this thing? The Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The Bible uses images of darkness and light to help us, to help us picture this uh, throughout, throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 6 is dark. It's, it's, it's pitch black, and everybody thinks that they're getting away with it. And then Genesis chapter 8 that we're going to see here in a few minutes, Noah and his family will eventually step out into the light 
And even after, even after all of the, the flood and everything else, even after they're saved and rescued and, they, and they, God provides for them, and even after they step out into the light, we, it's not, for, not much longer into their lives and into Scripture that we see that the world still isn't perfect. Because as long as, as long as we're around, it's not going to be perfect. But God sent the light, His Son, Jesus Christ, into the darkness so that we could choose Him, the light, and break the power of darkness in our lives. John chapter 3. I'll read these verses from John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light, that's Jesus, came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Sin will tell you that it can keep a secret, that it's, it's, it's in the dark. Nobody knows about it. But you've got to remember, sin is a liar. God sees our hearts and our actions, and our decisions matter. The third lie of sin excuse me, the third lie of sin, and then we will, we'll get on to the good news. We'll get on to the daylight here in a minute. But one more, the third lie of sin is that it only hurts you. This isn't affecting anybody else but you. And Genesis chapter 6 tells us that sin is viral. It's like a, it's like a disease. It's, it spreads everywhere. Sin will try to convince you that you can compartmentalize your life. It'll try to convince you that you can have the, <clears throat> the Sunday morning God thing and, and, and all of that, and, but, but you can have this other part of your life. It'll try to convince you that you can live two different lives, and it'll try to convince you that what you do has, doesn't affect anybody else. And uh, there, is a, there is a theological term for that, baloney. <laughs> How you live affects who you are, and who you are matters to the people around you. And when you defeat sin, you win spiritually. You, you advance. But there is an enemy. There is an enemy to your soul. And the enemy wants you to be weak, defeated, disengaged, discouraged, fake, hypocritical, powerless, dry, and dead. And most of your family don't want you to be any of those things. Or all of your family. And God wants you, now hear this this morning, God wants us, he wants you to be a spirit-filled, overcoming, victorious, joyful, peaceful, encouraging, growing, dynamic, sin-defeating, temptation-winning, Satan-stomping champion for Jesus Christ. That's who you're created to be. So, don't buy those lies. Don't buy the lie that that's what's done in secret is done in secret and it doesn't affect others. It really does. Everyone who knows you and loves you wants you to be an overcomer. They want you to be the best possible you that God has created you to be. Now, God's remorse isn't because of making man, but because of what man is made of himself. Leave us alone for five minutes and we can ruin the world. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Let's look at this verse. 
But Noah found favor with the Lord. But Noah found favor with the Lord. The reason why you and I are here today is because of that verse right there. It's because of Noah. Short little verse, seven words, that's it. But Noah found favor. There was one dude, one dude on the whole planet who was going upstream against the current when the whole world was out of control. One guy. Now think about those odds. Noah against the world. Think about those odds the next time you feel like everything is against you. Uh, it's just too hard. I'll give in this time. You know, it's just too hard. About roughly, I, you know, I don't know what exactly it is, but I know roughly they say that about a third of the world right now would identify themselves as Christian. That's a big sweeping generalization. I know we could talk about it more, but we don't have time, so let's move on. But when God looked for any sign of hope that he could find on his green earth, there was one guy and his family, Noah. Imagine Noah's kids asking to go to a party with their friends. But dad, the whole world is doing this. Literally. And Noah's saying, I don't care what the whole world is doing. You're not going to be doing that. Because wrong is wrong, you know this, even if everyone is doing it, and right is right, even if no one is doing it. Will you still follow Jesus if you're the last person left on the planet serving him? That was Noah. You think you could do that? The whole world just gave up? And Noah found favor because God found him faithful. Noah found favor with God because God found Noah to be faithful with him. Faithful is a long road in the right direction. That's faithful. Faithful is focus. The cross before me, the world behind me, that's faithful. No turning back. So this is a... a it's a massive story here, the, the story of Noah, and we're going to sweep over it pretty quick and get to uh, a few more points here at the end. God instructs Noah to build a giant covered barge to hold two of every animal and his family and their food. And several times in the story, we see these words. We see the words, God said to Noah, and then we see the words, and Noah did exactly what he told him to do. And there's this rhythm. God said to Noah, and Noah did exactly. And God said to Noah, and Noah did exactly. And, and that faithfulness, uh, he found favor with God because God found him to be a faithful, a faithful child. Faithful equals favor. And so God covered the earth completely in water, everything. And from the time Noah entered the ark until they finally rest on dry ground and, and ready to, to leave the ark. It's a little more than a year. And by this time on the ark, there is uh, Noah and his family. There's two of every kind of animal. There's animals they brought for sacrifice and about 2,648 rabbits. About a year on an ark. 
The ark is a symbol of the cross. It's the way of salvation. And Noah sends out a dove. When, it, when, he's, when he's looking for dry ground, he sends out a dove, and the dove eventually, to, to search for new life, and the dove eventually brings back a piece of an olive branch. And the dove, a dove reappears at the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism like a dove. The flood itself is a symbol of baptism. Like Julie demonstrated to us this morning, the old you must be fully submersed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, allowing God to wash away the sin in our lives, just like he does here in the flood, making us clean through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because whatever is corrupted must be cleansed. Whatever is corrupted must be cleansed. And instead of sending us an ark, God sent us his son. Peter puts... Uh, Peter helps us to uh, understand this. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Isn't that, I, I love the, the imagery of that, to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So we went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clear, a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Genesis um, chapter 8 begins with, with these words. This is uh, Noah and his family have been on the ark for about a year, and they're getting ready to drop, getting ready to finally leave the ark. And chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And this turns the tide of the flood, and the waters start to recede. You see, waters recede when God remembers this is true in our lives. Waters recede when God remembers. Winds and waves obey when God remembers. <clears throat> Excuse me. God's remembrance is deliverance. It's rescue. God keeps his promises. God was faithful to Noah. And sometimes in our lives, it can feel like, God, um, you can turn the tap off anytime now. God, like it's getting a little deep in here. God, this might be more than I can absorb. And the floodwaters are coming higher and higher, and you're praying harder and harder. And I, I'm not sure where I heard this. I wish I could give the, the person credit who said this, that uh, the water doesn't part until it hits your nose. Do you get that? Nostril? I thought it was pretty good. It doesn't, it'll part eventually, but it doesn't part until it gets your nose. What do you do when you're in a flood? What do you do when you've been praying and you've been sending out doves looking for a sign of hope? When you wonder if your situation will ever turn around? When, when, you're, when you're praying and asking God, when will my soul find rest on this open sea of, of uncertainty and unanswered prayer? When can I get off this stupid boat? I've prayed that prayer lots of times. 
Maybe you just need to hear this morning that God sees your situation, that he hears your prayer. Don't give up. Keep floating. Keep believing. Don't give up. While Noah was surfing, God was working. He was cleansing the earth of sin. While Noah was drifting, God was restoring. He was working all the time that they were floating. God was working. It might be important for us to, uh, to note this morning that it only took 40 days to flood. And sometimes that's how it is in our lives. Like things come on us fast, like really fast. Like, like you think you're doing okay and kaboom, flood. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? But it took several months, several months for the ground to dry up. And there might be something there for us to think about this morning of how sometimes life can come at you in a flood and you need to be patient while you wait for God to do his work. And just to keep praying, okay, God, I'm in it. It's, 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 it's wet. It's, uh, there's a lot going on here and I'm not sure, you know, why I'm in this, but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust you while the waters recede. Genesis chapter 8, this is the main part of our text that I want us to look at this morning. Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Release the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that, are, that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest. Cold, I don't like that part. And heat, I do like that part. Summer and winter, I'm not crazy about that part. Day and night. When the waters go down and the land dries up and, and God brings you into a new season, and you find new growth. God has set you in a new place. When it's time for you to, to step out of the ark and step into the light of God's grace, fall on your knees and worship him for his love endures forever. This is what Noah did. It's a great story. He comes out of the ark, and he, what does he do? The first thing he does is he builds an altar. No one had ever built an altar before. But Noah's like, this, I've got to do something here that is significant. And he falls on his knees. He's been on a stinking boat for more than a year with the same eight people. Do you love eight, any, are there any eight people you love enough that you could spend eight years or a whole year with them on a boat? And this has not caused Noah to be bitter. And his first response to God after this ordeal is to fall on his knees and to worship God. And Noah shows us a proper response to the faithfulness of God. If God has been faithful in your life, then worship him. Then offer him your best. Give him your praise. 
This is how you get a fresh start with God. You, you build an altar, which means just creating a, 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 a place and a space where, where you can offer God your sacrifice. Now, thankfully, on this side of the, on this side of the cross, we don't have to, you know, find animals for sacrifice and, and, and literally burn them as an offering to God. We, we still do that, but we call it barbecue. So what do we do now? What is, what is the sacrifice now on this side of the cross? Paul told us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We'll just do that first verse. Now, not verse 2. Some other day. So, what do we do? Here's my encouragement to us this morning, church. Moncton Westland. Here's what I want us to get this morning. Come to a place where you humbly acknowledge the mercy and grace of God in your life. The place where you admit that it's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it's by God's spirit that you are where you are. It is God who works in you. It is God who fights for you. It is God who has brought you where you are. As I said earlier, this is the first time in Scripture that we ever see anyone build an altar. And, and after that, the, the, the practice of altar building becomes common. Abraham builds altars and Moses builds altars. And, and I want to ask us this morning, will the people who are watching you now or the, or the people who are watching my life right now, do they see you building altars of worship in your life? Do they see you taking the, the time and the, and the space and, and, and creating moments where you offer back to God and they know that you are fully committed and fully devoted and, and, and fully surrendered to, to the things of God, to who God is in your life? Do they see specific times and places where you surrender all, falling down at the feet of Jesus, offering him your very best out of thanksgiving to God for sparing his life, giving him salvation? Noah offers this burnt offering, something that was clean, and it was completely consumed by the fire. Jesus would lay down his life for us, as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. His life completely consumed so that you and I could be washed clean from our sin by His sacrifice. You see, when you experience salvation, when you come to the point of, of believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you, when you cross that line of faith and say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God, I invite you to come into my life. When you come, when you come to, to, to that point and you experience salvation, it's like walking off the ark and stepping out into the, 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 the new light, fresh new life, and leaving the old things behind. The old is gone. It's been washed away. Everything has been made new in your life. And then... The proper response to God's rescue. If this happens, if you accept him as your savior, you're being, you're being rescued. The proper response to God's rescue is like Noah. It's to immediately 
Offer your life back to him. Offer your life in full surrender. That's why in baptism we ask people, we ask people, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? But then you'll hear me ask them, and is it your desire, your intention today to live for him, to serve him with the rest of your life? You allow this, this new fire of God's Holy Spirit to consume you. And you worship him first and only and always with your life. And that's what we see Noah do. He gets off the ark and before he does anything else, he drops to his knees. He builds an altar. He sacrifices back to God. And God was pleased with the aroma of Noah's worship. We're not sure exactly what God was thinking before Noah offered up his sacrifice. But we do see exactly what God was thinking after Noah offered up the sacrifice. And God said, never again. Never again will I curse the ground or destroy all living things, even though they are bent towards evil from birth. And this shows us that worship is powerful. It took the sinful deeds of the world to bring God to a point of flooding the earth, right? Genesis chapter 6, the world is broken and messed up. It took the sinful deeds of the world to bring God to the point of, of, of the flood. And it took the prayerful worship of one man, Noah, to bring God to a point of declaring he would never do that again. From this day forward, if you read on in Genesis chapter 8, you'll see pretty quick that Noah's family wasn't perfect. And the Old Testament is one speed bump after another as we learn the hard way of, of, of what our lives look like with God and what our lives look like apart from God when we go our own way. Until finally, I mentioned that thread that runs all through Scripture, until finally, in God's providence, in His timing, He brings His Son, Jesus Christ, into our world to be our once and for all sacrifice. Now, yeah, that's good news. That's good news. When the world around you is spinning out of control, and I know it seems like it's getting worse every day. When the world around you is spinning out of control, remain faithful. Remain faithful. When God speaks to you, and he calls you to do something that doesn't make sense, like he did with Noah, remain faithful. When the waters of fear and stress and life and anxiety are getting higher, they're rising around you. Remain faithful. When God is working, but you can't see how it's all going to unfold, remain faithful. When life stinks, as I'm sure that ark did, it had to stink. I don't care how many windows were on it. When life stinks, and you just need a change of environment, you remain faithful to God. Remain faithful when he has you in that season. When you go searching for dry land, and God says, not yet, not yet, a little longer, a little longer, remain faithful because his favor follows our faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again this morning for the truth of your word, how we can look back at this ancient story 
and see your faithfulness and see, God, how, how you see your mercy and your grace and, and how, how much you love us and how your heart breaks when we disobey and when we wander and when we're not in relationship with you. God, I pray this morning that you would remind us to be faithful in every season. I pray, God, that you would remind us this morning of the, the lures of sin and the lies of sin. And that you would uh, remind us this morning of how much you love us and you want to wash those things clean. You want to flood over our lives this morning and make us brand new. That we could step away from the past and step into the new light of of worshiping you with our whole lives. So God, be with us now, I pray, as we respond to your word, we respond to your spirit that's here in this room with us right now. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to invite you this morning, uh, Pastor Mark and his team are going to lead us in a song that's called Come As You Are. And I want to invite you this morning, if you... If you need to uh, step away from maybe some things in the past and you'd like God to, to wash over and flood over your soul, your life this morning with his mercy and grace, you don't need to come forward for that to happen, but I encourage you to. I think there's something in that, that public declaration of faith and walking and just coming to the altar area of the church to say, Lord, I'm yours and I will, I'll, I'll build an altar, I'll sacrifice, I'll give you my whole life. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning about a particular sin that he wants to, to break the power of in your life and, and set you free from that. I encourage you to come forward. Maybe you just want to come and for whatever reason and, and pray. We invite you to come forward. Maybe this morning it's salvation. Maybe um, you realize that this is your opportunity this morning. This is your opportunity. God has, has met you at your point of need. If you want to respond to him and trust him as your savior. Again, you don't need to come forward for that to happen. But, but if you want to, I think that'd be a beautiful thing this morning. Let's all stand together. And let's respond to him as we sing this song together.